you would turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of the Gospel of John, we're going to start reading at verse 11. This is the word of the true and living God. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. That's the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we come humbly before the throne at this time, Lord, to study your word, Father. We ask that you would be blessed and glorified in this study of your word, Lord. We ask that you be in our presence, Lord, that your truth would shine brightly in your, the midst of your people, Lord, that the speaker would be minimized and that you would be magnified, Lord, that your qualities, your attributes, your graciousness, your mercy, Lord, would be All that we have in our mind's eye this morning, Lord, we just ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We begin in verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. This might be a common experience for many of us. If you have relationships in your life where you try to share spiritual things with these folks and you get this glazed over look. Have you had this experience where they just don't seem to understand or they don't seem to be able to engage? And that's right. They cannot engage. Even if they, even if they want to, they cannot engage in their flesh, in their own power. They cannot engage with these truths. And if you're not having these relationships with people, if you don't have those conversations with people, well, you should. You should be living your life supposing that all of the truths that we discuss here every Sunday are true. And if you are supposing that all of the things that we say here are true every Sunday, then they would be true on Monday as well, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday too. They're true all the time. And that means that the way that you behave in light of these facts ought to be consistent from Sunday to next Sunday. And you should be speaking these truths to everyone in your life, not as a matter of like constant proselytizing or proselytizing. It's not constantly like hitting people over the head with your beliefs. It's just assuming that what is true is true. 
right? We all, it's, we believe in certain things um, unbelievers and believers agree upon, right? We all agree that when I get out of bed in the morning, gravity is still going to be there. I'm going to be able to get out of bed and just stand up. And it's just an assumption. You just live your life as if it's true. Likewise, you should live your life as if there is a God in heaven and his son was incarnated for you and died on the cross for your sins and resurrected again. And those are basically true facts that you can assume are true and that are not only acceptable, but necessary to conducting your life and your conversations. You can't have conversations with anybody, believer or unbeliever, without those truths and make any sense at all. Otherwise, you are living in a state of absurdity, a a state of unreason, a state of uh, unbelief. And nobody, none of us want that. We don't want to live in a state of unbelief. We want to live in a state of belief. And it's very important to do this in our daily lives with the people that we come across who maybe don't go to church with us because you don't know when someone will be born again. Verse 8 of the very chapter that we're reading, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, born from above, born again. So we preach the gospel here at church, and we preach the gospel in our lives and our actions. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There's a sort of attitude a lot of people take when they uh, don't want to preach where they think, no, I'm a civilized person. Right. I'm a modern person. I don't need to preach God in every conversation. Everything doesn't need to refer back to these religious truths. And it's sort of an absurdity, this like pompous attitude that people take as if they're so intelligent or civilized that they are too good to make sense in every conversation that they have. Paul was much smarter than me. He's much smarter than most of us. He's probably one, he's best at, one of the best educated, smartest people living at the time. I mean, the fact that he wrote the epistle to the Romans in the first century is astonishing. I've been looking through sort of ancient texts, things written prior to the time of Christ. There really isn't that much. You've got like the Iliad, you've got the Odyssey, you've got a number, probably a hundred texts or so. There really wasn't that much written. And then Paul comes along, you've got the Old Testament, and then you've got the New Testament being written in the early centuries uh, after the death of our Lord, Anno Domini, year of our Lord. And you get Paul, who just comes out of nowhere and writes these letters at like, what is comparable to and often superior to always superior to really, you know, like a university level piece of writing. It's very impressive. (laughs) Um, Very, very impressive what Paul did. So we preach, we don't preach from a power of our own, but we preach the power of the cross. Christ says, if I have told you earthly things, And you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? This is also translated low things versus high things. Those of you who don't understand the simple truths of scripture cannot understand the higher truths of spiritual reality. If you don't understand your own depravity, if you don't understand your own incompleteness, your own need for salvation, how can you understand salvation? It's an impossibility. You can't understand the more you can't get the meat if you didn't drink the milk. This is a principle that is laid out in scripture. 
And it is not just a, a, a decision that you make. You are not an autonomous being. You can't just decide to do these things. Deuteronomy 29.4 says, Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. Common refrain throughout the whole of Scripture. I found at least seven or eight instances where these eyes to hear or eyes to see, ears to hear, uh, are referenced. It must have almost been a common saying of the day. But in Deuteronomy, the first instance, it says, The Lord, Yahweh, hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see. So that is what is being discussed here in verses 12 and 13. I'm sorry, 11 and 12, and then moving on to 13. That Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to speak to Christ in the midst of the night, he did... He didn't understand the simple truth that you must be born again, that it's not anything that you can do as a you know, religious um, follower of the law. It is something that has to be done for you or right. by God right. so that you can be born again. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We discussed that last time. I'm not going to cover it again because we went all the way to Numbers. And do you remember in, in Numbers when they lift up the serpent because they're being bit by these vipers and they're all dying And God says, lift up the serpent in the wilderness, and it becomes an image of Christ on the cross. We remember what we discussed last week? Okay. I sure hope so. Uh, (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. This is such a powerful section of Scripture. Every... uh, uh, important or influential theologian over the last 2,000 years, uh, not every, but like the ones that you could immediately name, right? Calvin, Luther, Augustine, Aquinas, they all comment on this because it's very, uh, it's just, it's critical to the, our belief system. It's critical to Christianity. No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. It's a statement about Christ. It's a statement that says man and Christ are... The whole point of the Gospel of John is to say Christ is God. Christ is divine. Christ is supernatural in that sense, he's part of the Godhead. This is the whole epistle of John is leading you to this inevitable conclusion. I, I, I'm trying to find a way to rephrase something that I have here, but I don't think I can reframe it better than Augustine said it. So I'm just going to quote Augustine on this. For no one ascends into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven. Therefore, he said that he was both above and below. He was both above and below. He was both God in heaven and below Christ incarnate in the flesh. He descended, however, without departing from the Father, and he ascended without abandoning us. So he descended from heaven, incarnate in the flesh, without departing from his divinity, without departing from his participation in the Godhead. And when he ascended from the, uh, after the resurrection, he did not abandon us here, but he filled us with his Holy Spirit. So 
God is omnipresent. Christ is omnipresent. He is here in our midst where two or more gathered. Here we are. He came to us by means of his flesh, which he took from us, and he elevated us by means of his divinity, which he granted us. How could I? I could not have come up, put that any better than Augustine put it, so I had to read it from him. Then we get to the crux of the entire chapter. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What does it mean to perish? It means to die. But it's used over and over again in the New Testament to mean to die forever. It's like you know, permanent, permanent. This is um, uh, this is the this is what uh, just utter catastrophic destruction looks like is perishing. And so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, should not be destroyed, but have eternal life, having a life that exists outside of time, by the throne of God, in glory, in shining bright, majestic glory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Why? Because God so loved the world. God loved the world so much. The degree to which God loved the world was so great that he gave his only begotten son, his monogenea, his unique individual son, his special son, his son of a class all his own. He gave that son, because we're all sons and daughters of, the, of God in, in the adopted family, but this son is sui generis. This son is monogenea. This son is individual, unique, and set apart from all the others. And he gave that special, only begotten son, whosoever, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're going to return to this text. I want to finish with a reading from Psalm 85. I think that it is, it, it's sort of a re- re- relevant and sums up what we're discussing here in a way. Lord, this is Psalm 85, Lord, Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger for all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? And thy people, that thy people may rejoice in thee, show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. This is the state of the depraved sinner. This is the state of the unbeliever outside of God. We need to be turned from our sins. We need to return to salvation. We need God to cease his anger and withhold his wrath and have mercy on us. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints 
but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Let them not turn again to folly. When they are saved, let them repent from their sins. Let them walk in the light of our Lord. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and peace meet at this place, this place of salvation, where you do good, where you live in peace with God. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. This is the promise of our God to the people who repent from their sins. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. We want to walk with God. We want to walk with God. We want to be born again. So we pray for these things. We pray for repentance. We pray for a clean heart. We pray that the cosmos, the world that God sent his only begotten son to save, that that includes us. Let us pray. Lord in heaven, Father, we just come humbly before you at this time, Lord, remembering the work of your son, remembering this conversation that he had with the Pharisee Nicodemus, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that we would not be the Pharisee who did not have eyes to see or ears to hear, Lord. But we pray that we would be true believers, Lord, true sons and daughters of the Most High, Lord, grafted into the family of of your people, Lord, the household of faith. Father, we just ask that we'd be given clear sight on these things, that your uh, son would be glorified by all that we've spoken here, that he would be magnified in our hearts, Lord, that we would be conformed to his image, Lord, that we would be like him, Lord, because he was perfect. Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for everything that you've provided for us, and we're just praying that you'd be glorified by the teaching this morning, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 17, there is a story that's given that emphasizes a very important trait for Christians. Uh, and it uh, emphasizes how important it is that we are to have a thankful heart at all times, in all seasons. That we are to honor God by expressing our thanksgiving to him. Uh, all the time. And we'll look at this example and then some verses that sort of uh, highlight this. When we have a thankful heart, it first of all glorifies God. When we have a thankful heart and we're expressing thanksgiving to God, God is honored and God is praised by having a thankful heart. I remember Sister Perry lived to be past 104. She said, every day I get out, I get up and I start my day and I express my thanksgiving to God. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter what the difficulties are or have been, I always find something to be thankful for. And she said, I start my day with a thankful heart. When we have a thankful heart, it also changes us. It changes our attention from focusing on self to focusing on God. It's amazing how that will pull you out of a season of despair. 
It's hard to be overcome with despondency and despair when you have a thankful heart, when you're expressing thanksgiving to God for your blessings. We sing a song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Every single one of us here could take a piece of paper and begin to write down all of the many blessings that God has bestowed upon us in our life. It focuses our attention upon God and his goodness rather than on ourself and this world. Luke chapter 17, there's a story here and there's a a real good lesson for us in this. We'll look at this individual that expressed having a thankful heart. It says it came to pass, and this is Jesus Christ. It says, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers. They stood afar off. They had the reason that they stood afar off is because the illness that they had was very contagious. Kind of like what we've been through here recently. Uh, Folks at a distance wearing masks and things like that. And here it says that there were 10 lepers and they stood afar off. They stood afar off from Christ. They stood afar off from their family. They stood afar off from the people that they worked with because they were sentenced to have this dreaded disease of leprosy. And there were 10 of them. And this is important that we recognize the number that's here because it says that, and they, that's, I assume all 10, it refers to almost as a group that as Christ is passing by, they lift up their voice almost together or maybe in unison to get the attention of Christ. They've heard about Christ. They've heard that he has the power to heal, that he has the power to deliver. And they have a desire to be in the presence of Christ and to maybe experience some mercy from Christ or some healing from Christ. And so it says that as Christ was entering into Jerusalem, that he entered a certain village and there met him. Ten lepers, men that were very ill with leprosy. And it says that they stood afar off. And it says, and they lifted up their voices and said to Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. So if we get the setting right here, all ten of them, or at least in a group fashion, was pleading their case to Christ. And it says that when Christ saw them... That he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. Now the priest, if someone was delivered from leprosy, the priest could declare them healed or declare them whole. But here it's important to see where they were healed. It says, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So you've got 10 individuals here that were stricken with leprosy and all 10 of them in some fashion called out to Christ to have mercy upon them. And then it says that Christ tells them to go to the priest 
go show themselves to the priest and the priest would declare them whole or healed. But it also says that they were cleansed on the way. They were cleansed on the journey. I think that's important right here to see that it wasn't the priest that cleansed them. It wasn't the priest that made them whole. But it was something other than that. And therefore, as they were on their way, it says that they were cleansed. It says they cried out, have mercy upon us. They were headed to see the priest. And as they went, it says, and they were cleansed. And then it says that one of them, one of them when he was healed, one of them when he was cleansed, it says one turned back with a loud voice and it says he glorified God. Now, interestingly, right here, that there were 10 that were healed, but there was only one that turned back and expressed a heart of thanksgiving. I think this is probably a good example for us that probably about 90% of the time we fail to give God thanks for his mercy and grace upon us. It's probably a good rule of thumb. If we do it 10% of the time, that's probably almost an exaggeration. God blesses and he touches our life and he delivers us and he sustains us. And we see miraculous things in our life and 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 yet we fail to express thanksgiving to God. And, and so here there's one individual out of 10 that turned back and it says he cried unto the Lord and he glorified God. So first of all, when you have a thankful heart, and you express your thanksgiving to God, you're glorifying God. You're giving God the credit. You're giving God the praise for what he has done. It also, secondly, takes your mind away from self, takes your mind away from others, and you focus upon God and the Lord. So two things that happen when you have a thankful heart. You glorify God and you think about the Lord. You're in awe about the Lord. You praise the Lord for what he's done for you. Now look at what Christ says right here. It says that this one turned and cried back with a loud voice. And he glorified God. And it says, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, and I believe he does this primarily for our benefit right here. It says, Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? Well, Christ certainly knew how many there were. He cleansed them by his power, by his deliverance. It says, were there not 10 that were cleansed? But he said, where's the other nine? I would ask you, where do we fall in that category? Do we fall in the category of the one individual of the 10% or do we fall in the 90%? Do we go on our way and we forget to have a thankful heart? Where were Christ says this? Where were the other nine? I cleansed 10 and only one turned back to give thanksgiving. I think it's a good lesson for us to be mindful. Christ says answering. We're not 10 cleansed, but where are 
the nine. There are not found that returned. They're not found to return to give glory to God. Save this one stranger. Only one. All ten were cleansed. One turned back to give glory to God. And he said unto him, Christ, arise and go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. A third thing that having a thankful heart does is it exercises the faith that we have in the Lord. It exercises our faith in that we have in the promises of God and we have in the power of God, in the deliverance of Almighty God. So looking at some verses that highlight a thankful heart and how that we should live and be thankful, how that we should be more like Sister Perry and others that have expressed a thankful heart. Psalm 95, we'll look at a few verses that highlight having a thankful heart. Oh, let us come. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95, verse 1. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is great and a great king, and he is above all Gods, He says, in his hand are the deep places of the earth and the strength of the hills are his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people. We are the sheep of his hand. He says, come, let us come in before his presence with thanksgiving. So first of all, I believe he's talking about right here that when we come before the Lord in prayer, that we should start our time of praying to the Lord and express thanksgiving. I appreciated Brother Chad's prayer, and it was interesting to note that when he began to pray, he expressed his thanksgiving to the Lord. That's what he's talking about right here. A lot of times we have our Petitions that we take to the Lord and we have this baggage list that we take to the Lord. But he says that when we take it to the Lord, we should be going in a capacity or mode of having a thankful heart. I mean, if you're here today, it's because God has had mercy upon you and had grace upon you. And every single one of us here has so much to be thankful for. And he says, so when you plead your case to God, you are to be reminded that. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth that he created. All things are in his hand. It says in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills are his. He said he's formed dry land. He says, in fact, he is the great God and the great king above all gods. And he says, if you think about that, the power of almighty God, it makes our feeble petitions look pretty small. We should never wonder whether or not God is able to deliver because if he made the earth, if he made all things therein, we know that God is able to deliver. And so he says that when we come before the Lord, when we come before the Lord in prayer, as 
Brother Chad did. When we come before the Lord to sing hymns, when we come before the Lord to worship the Lord, to fellowship together, we should start off all the time with a heart of thanksgiving. If we don't have a heart of thanksgiving, we ought to pray to God that he would give us a thankful heart. I've shared this before and I'll share it again. I was blessed to have, um, no, all four of my grandparents, actually five, a couple of great grandparents. And when my last grandparent passed away and was totally out of grandparents, was very close to all of them. My granddads were my best friends and grandmothers were a great blessing and example in my life. I remember taking at the passing of my grandmother, I took a ledger pad and I began to write down on each page the things that I remembered that I'd learned from each one of my grandparents. And it just began to be page after page. And it was things that I'd learned by their example, by their encouragement, by their steadfastness, by their faithfulness. And I began to look at all those things. And then I began to read all of those blessings that I had experienced, that I'd witnessed from them. And I thought, you know what? That's part of who I am. They're with the Lord. But this is what they've left us with. And so rather than be sad that I don't have them, I'm thankful that God blessed them to cross my path and to have an impact upon my life. And I've referred back to that list through the years. But he's saying right here that we're to start off and come before him. And we're to come before him with a thankful heart. Oftentimes we're filled with complaint, being upset, being angry. But he says, when you come before me, I want you to come with a thankful heart. That's the first thing that we do. Uh, Psalm 136, verse 1. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, um, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto God, the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. And then he talks about how that he created the uh, heavens and the earth and all things therein and the moon and the stars and all of those things. How he delivered his people from the land of Egypt. How he had mercy upon his individuals throughout the years. And he just simply says, because of his mercy... For no other reason, you can read this Psalm 136 is out, uh, Psalm uh, 136, the whole Psalm is outstanding. But it just over and over tells you because of the mercy of God, for no other reason, if there was no other reason, we should come before God with a heart of thanksgiving. Because he's had mercy upon us over and over again. Mercy is keeping us from getting what we deserve. If we realize what sinners that we are, we don't deserve any of the blessings of God. And any blessing that we ever experience is simply by the mercy of Almighty God. So he said, we come before his presence with thanksgiving. And we come before his presence because of the mercy that he sheds upon us. This next one is a tough one. It's tough for me. 
But I expect that it's probably in there for that reason, because I might not be the only one that it's uh, difficult for. The next one is Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. He says, I love this first verse here, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do you know what that means? I mean, that sometimes are just more conducive for us to rejoice in the Lord than others. When we've just been on a mountaintop, when we've just experienced the great deliverance of Almighty God, when we've witnessed His mercy in our life and something good has happened in our life, then we're ready to rejoice in the Lord. But he tells us right here that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. That means every day. It changes our thinking. It changes our mindset if we are rejoicing in the Lord. There's not a whole lot that's around us that we can rejoice in. Oh, some things. You can rejoice in your family. You can rejoice in your friends. But you can always Your friends may disappoint you. Things may go wrong, but you can always 100% of the time rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying just pull up your bootstraps and be happy. Say, I'm going to have a good day and I'm going to be happy today. He says, I want you to be happy, but I want you to be happy in the Lord. He doesn't say I want you to be happy in yourself. It's not a Zig Ziglar Encouraging comment. Many of you may not know who he is. That's only Sister Peggy and I think are the only ones that do. Maybe Brother Phil. But um, but he says right here, he says, I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be happy and I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, and again, I say rejoice. So just in case we miss that first in, uh, admonition, he comes back and he says, and again, I say rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, let your moderation be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And here's where the verse really touches on being thankful. He says, but be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's that's a lot. That is loaded. I haven't figured out how to fully put this in place. Maybe you have and you can come up and tell me afterwards. When he says be careful for nothing, that means not to be anxious, not to be overcome with worry, not to be overcome with despair. He says be careful for nothing. Now, that means in all things. I haven't figured out how to do it, but he gives us some instruction right here. He says, be careful for nothing. Don't be overcome with despair, with worry, anxiety. He says, don't be careful for nothing. But he says, and this is how you how you work towards that, how you do it. He says, be careful for nothing. But in everything here, he says it again in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. So here's how we do it. We take the cares, the concerns that he's talking about in the first part of the verse. We take those concerns, we take those cares, 
And then he says what we do with those concerns and cares is we take those cares, concerns, and he says, then you take them and you submit them to God. He said, you take those concerns and you give them to God. God knows your situation. God knows your need. God knows exactly what you're dealing with even better than you do. He says, you take those concerns, you give them to God. And he says, when you give them to God, you first of all, remember that you need to express thanksgiving to God for all that he's done for you in your life, whether he never gives you another blessing or not. You express your thanksgiving to God. You present your supplication to God and you give it to God. And then he says, this is what's going to happen when you do it. He says, and then I I, I believe it's referring to what he's talking about right there. You're rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're letting your moderation be known unto all men. He says, you're not overcome with worry and anxiety because you're taking those requests and you're taking them to God and you're giving them to God. And he says, as a result of you taking that and giving it to God, then he says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I believe what he alludes to right here is that the end result If we do what he tells us right here, that the end result is that we're going to have peace from God that passes all understanding. The peace of God which passeth all understanding, it shall keep your hearts and minds through, not yourself, not through the world, not through others. But it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said this is the result of you taking your concerns with thanksgiving, you giving them to God, and the end result is that God is in turn going to give you a peace that passes all understanding, and he's going to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the following verses right here also help in it very, very much. This helps a lot. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He basically says, here's some things that if you'll spend your time thinking about, it's going to make a difference in you experiencing that peace that passes all understanding. I believe that what it means when he says the peace of God that passes all understanding is that when others might look at you and perceive that Your world's fallen apart, and yet you're being held up by the grace and peace of Almighty God. You can't explain it. It's something that only God can do. You can't explain it. Here he says, think on some things that are true, some things that are honest, some things that are just, some things that are pure or lovely. He says, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. He said, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. God is going to give you peace. If you think on these things, if you take your request and you give them to God, there's going to be a peace that passes all understanding. Paul even says right here, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound 
Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to hungry and to both be abounded to suffer need. And then, then here's what he says. And if, if you don't get anything else out of the message, if there's one thing that you can take home with you, right here it is. This is for parents. This is for husbands. This is for wives. This is for grandparents. This is for all of us. And it'll help you 100% of the time. There's not much I can give you that will help you all the time in every case, in every situation, but this one will. Paul said this, and you can claim it yourself. When we went through three years of COVID, it was so hard. It was so difficult, and I'm not going to relive that experience. But I tell you what, I claimed this verse often, and I would say it to myself and over and over again. Here's a really good one that you can take with you. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul didn't say I can do all things through my own strength. I can do all things through what others do or help me with. But I can do all things through the strength of Jesus Christ. And that's your strength and that's mine. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go through seasons to realize that we really aren't that strong in and of ourselves, And our only strength is in the Lord. But that's all we need. Because he's the one that made the earth and the heaven and all things therein. I, 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 I love what old brother Bartabal used to say. Uh, he, he said, when I get sick, he said, the very first thing I do all the time is I go to the Lord. And then I go to the doctor. He said, it's the Lord that gives the doctor the wisdom and the power and the knowledge. He said, the first thing I do all the time is I go to the Lord. Then he said, I go to the doctor. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, One more that we'll touch on and and wrap up. First Thessalonians. This one is really, really good. This is real good. First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 16, if you want to read along. Here it is again. Rejoice. Doesn't say again. It says rejoice evermore. Means we should be in a state or mindset of rejoicing. He says rejoice evermore. And he says pray without ceasing. Means take your request, supplications to God. Do it with a thankful heart. And then he says right here, and this is really good. In everything... Give thanks. That's hard sometimes. It is. Maybe because we don't understand. We can't see it from God's perspective. We can't see it from his picture. We can't see how he's working in our lives. Until sometimes later on down the road. So it's sometimes hard to give thanks in certain situations that we maybe don't feel a thankful heart. But we can't see it from the big picture. We can't see it from God's perspective sometimes. 
Sometimes down the road we can look back and see it. We can see that God has delivered us. He's protected us and things throughout our life. But here's, here's where it gets really good. He said in everything, I think he means in every stage of our life, in every phase of our life, in every experience in our life, we should ask God to show us to have a thankful heart, help us have a thankful heart, and we should look for things. It's amazing. When we have a difficult time, it's amazing how that God puts certain people in your life that you just know that it had to be of the Lord. That you couldn't have met these people. You couldn't have known these people. You couldn't get to interact with them. And yet you may be experiencing a difficult time and God puts certain people in your lives. Isn't that amazing how God does that? Here's what he says. This will wrap it up. In everything, give thanks. He says, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. That's you want to know what God's will is for you in your life. You say, I wish I knew what God's will was for me. Well, right here is part of it, that you have a thankful heart, that you go before God with a heart of thanksgiving. And he says, and this is God's will for you. I couldn't help but think this morning when uh, it's pouring down rain. And I thought, I seriously doubt Brother Kilby will be here today because he, he has to cross the Susquehanna River pouring down rain. And we even talked about it, Sister Jill and Brother Carlton and Brother Tom and I. If I didn't look up, Brother Kilby's coming in. And I thought to myself, one reason, it's not easy for him to get here, but he's here. And it's partly because he wants to express thanksgiving to God for what he's done for him. I looked up and my goodness, if it wasn't brother and sister Farrington, almost 96 years old. And here they are. They weren't hindered by the rain. He said, what a wonderful day this is. And I thought, what an encouragement and what a blessing. They do it because they have a thankful heart. If you have a thankful heart, go before his presence with thanksgiving in your worship, in your prayer, in all that you do. Do it with a heart of thanksgiving. And if you do that, you're going to have the peace of God that rules in your heart that passes all understanding. It's not going to get you to heaven. You do it because you're already heaven bound. But it sure is going to bring a lot of joy. If you don't have the, if you're not rejoicing in the Lord, if you don't have the peace that passes all understanding, if you don't have that peace within, it may be that you're lacking, expressing a thankful heart. Pray that God will bless you to have that.